Hashtag pig war. Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. A snooty French diplomat, a surly Texas innkeeper, and a pack of rampaging pigs? A dangerous combination that nearly cost Texas its independence. This week, we look at the remarkably ridiculous story of the Pig War of 1841. But before we start, though... Oh, but first, who is your favorite lesser-known Texas outlaw? Well, I'm going to go with uh, William News Carver, who was a member of Butch Cassidy's Wild Bunch. Uh, He was famous for being known as News because he enjoyed seeing his name in the newspaper. And if you watch the movie Butch, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, he was played by famous cowboy actor Tim Scott. Well, I'm going to say Juan Coy. And Juan Coy was one of the members of the, uh, of the Butler family and uh, on the feud that we covered in The Fracas at Dailyville. We'll post a link in the notes. You should go back and listen if you've never heard it. It's one of my favorites from the archive. Yep. I have picked one that hardly anyone has heard about. Uh, Davy Crockett. Davy what? Crockett. <laughs> yeah, not not Davy Crockett, like the, the hero of the Davy Alamo. Crockett. Not not the Davy Crockett, but a uh, Davy Crockett. <laughs> a Davy Crockett, who is either the grandson or grandnephew of the Davy Crockett we know. But this Davy Crockett, the outlaw, was uh, he murdered some guys and uh, led a, a pretty nasty life. That nobody knows about. Lived um, up to the family name, huh? Wow. Yeah, it might be considered a stain on the family name. I'm not <laughs> sure. But anyway, it's an interesting little story that maybe we'll cover in another episode. But mm-hmm. you heard it here first. Davy Crockett, outlaw. Well, <laughs> good. Because at first I thought it was going to be Willie Nelson, Willie Nelson, Willie Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> but that's favorite Texas country outlaw. Yeah. Parenthesis <laughs> music. Yeah. We've talked about the precarious nature of Texas' days as an independent nation from 1836 to 1846. The new country was under constant threat from the Comanche and from the Mexican government, which didn't recognize Texas' independence. There's political infighting between factions supporting and opposing annexation in the United States, and Texas steadily slid deeper and deeper into debt. In many ways, the only thing keeping Texas independent was the recognition provided by the United States and Europe's two strongest nations, Great Britain and France. However, in 1841, Texas' relationship with France was threatened by a personal conflict between the French representative in Texas and his neighbors over the unlikely issue of pigs. France's interest in recognizing Texas as an independent state began in 1839, when it sent Jean-Pierre Isidore Alphonse Dubois, a minor official in the French embassy to the United States, to Texas in order to investigate the conditions and prospects there. During his mission, he visited Galveston, Houston, and he traveled down the coast as far as Matagorda Bay. Maybe he found Lafitte's lost ship or his fort, possibly. His, or maybe he thought it was the Mississippi River. French people tend to do that. <laughs> His reports influenced the French government to recognize Texas on September 25, 1839, with the Treaty of Amity, Navigation, and Commerce. Dubois, as the resident expert on Texas at that point, 
was appointed the new charge d'affaires of His Majesty Louis-Philippe, the King of the French, to the Republic of Texas. He was ordered to establish an official legation in Texas as France's representative at the Republic's new capital in Austin. He wasn't an ambassador as a legation ranked below an embassy in the complex diplomatic culture of the time, but for Texas, he was kind of a big deal. Or at least he thought he was. When the Commonborn Dubois arrived in January 1840, he added de Cellini to his name and introduced himself as a count. It was a papal honor, and it was unrelated to his role as a diplomat. When Dubois arrived in Austin, he found a rough-hewn frontier town made entirely of log cabins and dirt streets. The, quote, city was really less than a year old. He purchased land not far from the center in order to build an official residence, and in the meantime moved into the only hotel in town, the Bullock House. The Bullock House was built by Tennessean Richard Bullock and served as a residence for visiting government officials, barracks for the local ranger troop, a town restaurant, and a meeting hall for the Presbyterian Church. Dubois, or the Count del Cellini, as he liked to be called, lived at the Bullock House for a few weeks, and it's safe to say that he and the hard-bitten innkeeper didn't get along. After a very short time, Dubois moved out and into a log cabin not far from Bullock's property, near where the official legation was being built. When he left, Dubois skipped on the bill. It wasn't the first time he'd done something like this. He'd paid the teamster who'd hauled his things to Texas $300 worth of counterfeit money. Needless to say, Bullock wasn't pleased, and he confronted Dubois over the unpaid bill. Bullock cussed the fake count out so strongly that Dubois appealed to the Texas government to pass a law against, quote, speaking in disrespectful terms of any foreign minister accredited to the government. The law was passed, but it didn't stop Bullock from badmouthing the French diplomat whenever he had the chance. I gotta say, like, there's something about this story right now that is very, like, I feel like this is the opening, the long opening to the Hateful Eight. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bullock wasn't alone in his dislike of Dubois. Very quickly, Dubois got a reputation for arrogance and pretension, and, must, and much of Austin began calling him no Count Cellini. Vice President David G. Burnett loathed him, as did Secretary of State James Mayfield. Even Sam Houston disliked the man, one of the few areas of agreement that he had with Burnett. When Dubois visited Houston one day wearing his French military decorations and medals, Houston reportedly removed his Indian blanket and showed his numerous scars. He told the astounded Frenchman, a humble Republican soldier who wears his decorations here salutes you. Besides protecting his reputation and shirking his bills, Dubois' prime focus as charge d'affaires was the establishment of a Franco-Texan commercialization and colonization company. The Franco-Texian bill, which was proposed by two French businessmen, Jean-Pierre Hippolyte Basterèche and Pierre-François de La Salle, called for a several million dollar loan to Texas in exchange for three million acres of land for the French to settle 8,000 families and build 20 forts and garrisons manned by 10,000 soldiers. Opponents of the bill pointed out that this was more troops than Santa Ana ever had in Texas. Still, the bill had support from some sectors, including from Sam Houston, who recognized the Republic needed France's money and support even if he didn't like their official representative. The legation building itself was an amazing structure for Austin at the time. It was a truly lavish abode, and Dubois spared no expense in its design and construction. 
The house was situated on top of the hill overlooking the Capitol building, and hardware and elaborate millwork for it were imported from France, along with servants and a Parisian chef. The bedrooms were furnished with French furniture of the period and fine linens. It even had a cellar, an oddity in Texas, in order to store wine because, you know, they're French. The 21-acre estate included a fenced garden growing vegetables and corn to feed the legation's horses. It was intended to be a showpiece of French prestige and sophistication to her new, rustic, and very simple partners. Which is kind of insulting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is a building completely surrounded by log cabins. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the very first example of keeping Austin weird. But as it was being built, Dubois, who lived in what he referred to as, quote, a wretched wood shanty, still intended to himself be that symbol of sophistication to Austin's political elite. Dubois gave multi-course dinner parties in the cabin he rented, whining and dining in support of the Franco-Texan bill. He also further ingratiated himself with the Catholic Church, assisting Bishop Jean-Marie Odin with restoring church property damaged or seized in the Revolution. And while he was successful in these efforts, he wasn't in getting the Franco-Texian bill passed. The measure did pass the House just barely in 1841, thanks to the efforts of Sam Houston. However, the Franco-Texian bill, and indeed Dubois' reputation as well as the relationship between Texas and France, were directly tied to the continued conflict with Bullock and his pack of marauding pigs. So how did pigs get involved? Bullock was somewhat famous in Austin at the time for his pigs, which he let roam freely throughout the streets whenever they wanted. Why not? At some point, these pigs figured out that Dubois grew corn to feed his horses, and they broke down the wooden fence that surrounded the Count's garden in order to get that corn. Dubois had his butler run them off and repair the fence, but the, mex- <clears throat> but the next morning, they were back. Yummy corn. It soon became a daily routine of Bullock's pigs to break down the fence of the French legation. Dubois complained to Bullock, and you can guess how well that went. The marauding hogs soon expanded their attention to the house itself, breaking into the house and running wild. They made meals out of expensive imported linen, fancy clothes, and even chowed down on Dubois' official papers. Dubois had had enough. He said, Mon Dieu! <laughs> Mopuses! <laughs> Les pompouses! <laughs> he ordered his butler to shoot the pigs on sight the next time they appeared, which the butler... Eugene Pluguet did on February 11, 1841. Bullock was infuriated. He marched over to Dubois' house and demanded that he be recompensed for the loss of his hogs. Dubois responded that he would do no such thing, invoking diplomatic immunity for himself and his servant, and Bullock went home empty-handed. A few days later, though, he saw Pluguet walking down the street and commenced to thrash in the butler. When Pluguet tried to escape, Bullock threw rocks at him, chased him with an axe, and told him he'd do the same to Dubois if he saw him. Because this man loved his pigs. (laughs) (laughs) On February 19, 1841, Secretary of State Mayfield received an official protest from Dubois over the incident. Two days later, Mayfield received another communique that Bullock had again threatened Pluyet and... Fearing the innkeeper was going to kill the French servant, the secretary ordered a judicial hearing for February 22nd. Dubois refused to appear before the court, and he forbade Pluyet to testify either, insisting 
that the, quote, law of nations be applied to punish Bullock. Basically, he wanted him to be punished without a trial. The judge, despite the lack of testimony, did find sufficient evidence to indict Bullock. At this point, though, good old Texas politics got involved in the issue. At this point, though, good old Texas politics got involved, and the issue became officially the pig war and an international issue. Now, remember that this was the time that the debate over the Franco-Texian bill was getting hot, and the key Texan supporting the bill was Sam Houston. And, as we know, Vice President David Burnett, who was currently serving as interim president for the ailing Mirabeau Lamar, was always opposed to anything involving Sam Houston. He loathed the fake French count and also was adamantly opposed to the bill itself for good reasons, as well as his usual, if Houston is for it, I'm again it, justification. Embarrassing Dubois would take the starch out of no Count Cellini and hopefully reduce support for the bill. Bail for the now-indicted Bullock was immediately posted by John Chalmers, who was at the time the Texas Secretary of the Treasury. So, the Secretary of the Treasury is going over there and bailing out this guy that was accused of letting his pigs demolish the property of a uh, foreign dignitary, just to put that in simple terms. Yes. Texas was a lot different place, but there were fences. <laughs> When Dubois complained on April 5, 1841 about the situation, wanting an arbitrary punishment for Bullock, he was told by Secretary of State Mayfield that, quote, you can obtain your passports when you choose to demand them. Meanwhile, Bullock's remaining hogs continued to roam unimpeded throughout Austin, looking for corn, and the entire town treated Bullock as a hero. Texas newspapers loved the story of the haughty little Frenchman. An editorial in the San Augustine Journal and advertiser ended with the words, Viva the pigs! Chalmers himself said that he thought Bullock should have pulled out a gun and shot that uppity Frenchman. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, we shouldn't laugh at uh, the advocation of murder by a sitting official official. of the Texan government. (laughs) (laughs) Convinced that the whole affair was an affront to the dignity of France, Dubois left Austin for New Orleans, effectively suspending diplomatic relations between the Republic and France for a year. On his way out, he threatened to use his influence to defeat the loan that Texas sorely needed. And true to his word, he did just that. The Franco-Texan bill itself was never addressed by the Senate, as it was clear that its supporters couldn't get enough votes to override a threatened veto. Texas's position and security became more precarious for a while, being even less able to protect itself or to pay its own bills. While the French foreign minister was not happy that Dubois had left his post without permission, they officially supported its agent in his quarrel with Texas. Fortunately for Texas, the French government had no desire to go to blows over the affair. The war, such as it was, ended in a compromise. When Sam Houston was re-elected president a few months later, he made, quote, satisfactory explanations to the French government over what had occurred and requested the return of Dubois de Salini. These explanations were less than what the Count asked for, since there was neither censure of the previous administration nor promises to punish Bullock or his remaining pigs. But knowing that he was on somewhat thin ice with his boss, Dubois accepted his peace offering and returned to Texas in April 1842 to resume his official duties. In the end, the war's only casualties were a few pigs, some bruises for Dubois' butler, and his own wounded pride. 
He quietly served in Texas for three more years, mostly staying in Houston or Galveston until Texas was annexed in the United States. He later served in Belgium and Russia, and was then sent to serve as an ambassador in Mexico, where he was accused of financial malfeasance and returned home in disgrace, dying in 1888. I love that word. What's that? Malfeasance. I love the word malfeasance, too. Tales of malfeasance in railroad hiring practices. <laughs> Tales of malfeasance in French diplomacy. There yeah. you go. The whole sorry mess did become a factor in which country the Republic of Texas decided to join. French pomp and Texian roughness just don't mix, and it rolled out France as an option for annexation or at least a serious alliance. Ironically, the French legation never took up residence in the building Dubois commissioned to house it. It's believed that he ran out of money sometime in December 1840 before the house was finished. He sold it to Bishop Odin, who lived there when the house was completed until 1842, when he moved to Washington on the Brazos. In 1847, Odin sold the house to famed Houston hater Mosley Baker, who lived there for a short time before selling it to Joseph Robertson, a politician, Texas Ranger, physician, and pharmacist. Surprisingly... Not a newspaperman or a lawyer. <laughs> That's right. I mean, he pro- well, he was a politician, so might, he might have done those things. It just wasn't really, it didn't percolate to the top. Robertson's family and their descendants owned the property for 100 years before selling the estate to the state of Texas in 1948. The daughters of the Texas Revolution took over the property, and they restored it to its original appearance in 1956. Today, the French Legation Building is a beautiful museum highlighting the early days of the Republic and its relationship with its powerful allies. Its contents include an armchair and a sofa thought to have belonged to Dubois, as well as various donated items, including a kitchen that's stocked with a large number of French pre-1840 cooking antiques. The museum also houses copies of the Count de Silene's posted diplomatic papers which are missing five reports, allegedly those lost to the depredation of Bullock's marauding pigs. I will just say that this story is ripe for a drunk history treatment. (laughs) I I can only imagine what they could do with something as meaty as... uh, pigs causing an international incident oh boy if if somebody this, from comedy central is listening please yeah. please just start the twitter campaign because that's what we need this story might make sense drunk hashtag pig war <laughs> well you know the thing is is that like you just picture you know like the Texas is not like what it was in Texas Rising. It was a... <laughs> no, it's just... I mean, you picture Austin and what it would look like if there was no buildings or just a bunch of log cabins and dirt dirt floors and then, like, this gang of wild pigs that just roam the streets, which, ironically, the streets were probably very clean because pigs leave just about anything, so... Um, but... Uh, <laughs> I just... I just picture, like, this guy getting off the boat being like... I'm going to I'm going to really this is my time to shine. I'm going to change my name and re- and then he shows up in Barter Town from yeah. Mad Max. Oh, <laughs> uh-huh. I'm here. This is Bonjour. Texas. Bonjour. Well, this is an interesting it is interesting with the French though because you know if you go back to the very beginning, episode 1 we talked about why the French flag over Texas and you forget, you know what an important and tenuous role the French played in early Texas. 
We really could have used that loan. Well, here's the ironic part. So did did the pigs threaten Texas's independence? Or in fact, did the pigs secure Texas's independence? Because we kind of we kind of we kind of get we get captivated by the Frenchman and the pigs and we and then this story I didn't even know, I never knew about the Franco Texian bill. I never knew that the bill was in place that would bring 10,000 French troops into Texas. Yeah, I mean, like they said, that's <laughs> that's more troops than Santa Ana, our hated enemy Santa yeah. Ana, ever had in the territory. Yeah, I mean, Zachary Taylor, after American annexation, brought in around 5,000 troops to Brownsville, and Mexico went to war over it. So... I, I think probably the Mexican-American War wouldn't have happened. The Mexican-Franco War probably would have happened. And I, I seriously doubt Texas would become an American state if there was 10,000 French troops garrisoning yeah. the Rio Grande. Oh, it, it, it probably would have just... But then again, you also think like the cost of them putting that many troops on a yeah. ship and stuff, that this was a paper line. This was just something that they'd written down as an option but that it's they a, could use as a threat. It's a fascinating what if. So let's say, so Amazon, after you finish Man in the High Castle, how about Texas French? Te- French Texas. You know, what if the French, what if this bill had the passed? The French had gained a foothold in North America. And, in, uh, in Texas, yeah. established a colony. Wow. Well, Yeah, that's pretty pretty interesting. But yeah, I mean, so that's that's the thing is that like there's there's unintended consequences to these these ridiculous stories. So we would, what would we have today? Like the Houston Astros? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Dallas Cowboys? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, when you really get down to it, you get into some really fascinating historical oddities of, well, if if France is in Texas, then do they also go into Mexico, you know, with, uh, you know, the, the Emperor Maximilian? And then... What does Mexico's history look like in the subsequent years? Because America wasn't interested in keeping Mexico. They just wanted to keep the wealthy parts, like California and Texas. But France might have decided to take everything. Yeah, Very interesting. Know. Speculative history. Yeah, so we can thank some pigs. Novel. We can go thank some pigs. I, You know, pigs. What a funny thing. Any thoughts on pigs? I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, you see them up close at the stock show, but like to picture like a herd of wild pigs just roaming the streets of Austin today. Yeah. yeah. It's got to be the most ridiculous invocation of diplomatic immunity I think anyone's ever yep. bothered. Yep. So feral hogs have always been a problem in our state. <laughs> yeah. Apparently. There, there's, there's a lot of people out there that are like mad about like feral hogs and javelinas that are running crazy across their yeah. property right now going, I, I'm for it. I'm for this French guy. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Bullock was mad that they didn't roast the pig or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. One has to wonder how important those papers were that yeah. they ate. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you, you get pretty upset if you have a squirrel in your attic, but imagine having a pig in your office. I think this should be season two of Texas Rising. <laughs> The pig war. The pig war. <laughs> the pig war. I demand it. Channel. Pig well, there war. you go. Add his tweet. Add history. Say. <laughs> Tex- hashtag Texas Rising Two. Hashtag Pig War. Pig war. Pig war. Eighteen forty one. Ha. That wraps things up for today. 
You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. Why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. You know you like this show, and you know you have some friends, so get out there and do your duty. Tell them to listen to this show and leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us out to find new listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast where you too can become a come and take it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. <laughs>